The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 32 to 40, where our Savior says, Do not be afraid, little flock, because your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide money bags for yourselves that do not become old, a treasure in the heavens that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Be like people waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those servants whom the master will find watching when he comes. Amen, I tell you. He will dress himself and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. Even if he comes in the second or third watch, they will be blessed if he finds them alert. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you are not expecting him. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It's hard to find much duty, much beauty in the word don't. We have a natural resentment of being told what we cannot do or what we should not do. When we hear the word don't, we bristle. How beautiful our Savior Jesus makes that little word don't. Last week, we heard Jesus tell us, don't be greedy. Don't be like the rich fool in this story. Don't set your heart on earthly treasure and endlessly pile it up for yourself. Don't do it. Don't be greedy. And then in the verses that connect the gospel from last week to today's gospel, verses that we don't hear in worship this year, Jesus drops another beautiful don't on his disciples. Jesus points to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, and he tells his what you will eat or what you will drink. Do not be worried about it. Don't be greedy. Don't worry. So maybe don't isn't always such a nasty word. Maybe when Jesus tells you not to do things, there's beauty in it. And if you want more proof, Exhibit C is right at the beginning of today's gospel. Do not be afraid. So that is the third magnificent don't that Jesus fits into a span of just 20 verses in Luke chapter 12. Don't be greedy. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could live every moment of our lives fully abiding by those three divine don'ts of our Savior Jesus? Can you imagine how nice life would be if you never had another greedy thought enter your brain ever again. Wouldn't it be amazing if you never worried again for the rest of your life? You can be concerned, you can care about things that are important, but no more obsessing about it, no more worry. And wouldn't it be great if we could live every moment of our lives never having to be afraid of anything ever again? Doesn't that sound good? It almost sounds like heaven. You know why it sounds like heaven? 
Because this heaven, and until we get to heaven, we're never going to reach a place in our existence where we are totally free from greed and worry and fear. As long as we are here in this world, we are sinful. And as long as we are sinful, sometimes we still fall for the big lie that the measure of our life is determined by our possessions. So sometimes we start to get a little greedy. And as long as we are sinful, sometimes we forget that beautiful object lesson that Jesus used with his disciples. He pointed to the birds of the air and said, look at them. They don't sow or reap. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus pointed to the flowers of the field and said, look at them. They don't labor or spin. Solomon was never dressed as beautifully as one of those flowers. And then Jesus asks this amazing rhetorical question, are you not much more valuable than they? The answer to which, of course, is yes. Because God didn't send his son to save birds or flowers. He sent his son to save us. So we can have full confidence that God's going to give us everything we need. But sometimes we forget that lesson our Savior taught his disciples. So we do worry. And then there's the don't that Jesus gives us this morning. Do not be afraid. Sometimes we fear. We fear because we worry. Now, worry and fear, you remember those two bullies on the playground when you were growing up that always walked around together, pushing people around? That's worry and fear. They're spiritual bullies that always walk around arm in arm. But other times we fear because we recognize the truth in the name that Jesus calls us in these verses. He calls us his little flock. We are outnumbered in this world as Jesus' followers, and it appears that we could easily be overpowered and overrun at any moment we look at ourselves our numbers are not very big we look at our resources we don't seem very strong jesus says don't don't do it don't be afraid but sometimes we do wouldn't it be great if we didn't well perfection will have to wait for heaven but could we get better at this could we improve in living in the don'ts of our Savior Jesus, not being greedy, worried, or afraid. Perfection will have to wait for heaven, but we will take a long, hard stride toward perfection. We will improve greatly when we remember that heaven is coming. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, because your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. In just a couple of short weeks, catechism instruction is going to start up again for the fall here at Trinity. Catechism class always makes me nervous. Not afraid, of course, because that would be a violation of what Jesus says not to do, but definitely nervous. Because 12 and 13-year-old children have questions. Some of their questions are really hard. And they're right at the age where they're not afraid to ask those questions. I remember a kid in catechism a long time ago already. His name was Zach. Zach had some very difficult questions. Now, Zach's father was an atheist, and I suspect that his dad was feeding him some of these questions just to be a pain in my keister. But <laughs> some, of the, some of the questions were like, all right, if God promises to supply daily bread, why are people in this world starving? Or if marriage is so important, why won't people be married anymore in heaven? See why this makes me nervous. Or this one. So why did God make us anyway? 
I mean, if God knew that people were going to sin and he was going to have to come into this world and die a horrifying, agonizing death on the cross to save us, then why did he go through with it? Why make us in the first place? That's a hard question to forget. The answer must have been less memorable because I don't remember what the answer was, but whatever it was, it could have, probably should have started right here, Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, because... Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. God was pleased to do it. This is about as close as the Bible ever comes to saying that God has fun doing something. So fun might not be exactly the right word. But pleasure, enjoyment, even delight is within the boundaries of this word. It gave God pleasure to create this entire universe for us the crown of his creation, and then to handcraft us in his image. Now, it certainly did not please God when we fell into sin in the garden. And I say we, I know you weren't personally there, but scripture clearly teaches when Adam fell into sin, we all fell with him. And that did not give God any pleasure or delight. But it did please him at that moment not to annihilate Adam and Eve or just watch them shrivel up into eternal death, but it pleased God to step in and come to the rescue right away in the garden with the first promise of a Savior. And it pleased God to repeat that promise to Abraham and his descendants for centuries until finally the Savior arrived. And when he did, God was delighted to redeem us from our sin, to buy us back from sin and Satan with the holy life of his son Jesus and Jesus' death on the cross. God enjoyed raising Jesus on Easter morning to show us that rescue is real. And now, it gives God great pleasure every time the good news of Jesus' salvation reaches another set of ears and another person comes to faith. God is delighted to give his kingdom to each and every individual member of his little flock. And when he does, he is giving us a good thing that lasts forever. He is pleased to give us treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Don't be greedy here, Jesus says. Don't worry about having enough here. Don't be afraid, little flock that you are, because the kingdom is up ahead of you. You have treasure coming that never ends. Look forward and set your heart there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look forward, fellow Christians. Look forward to the treasure of heaven, and God will fill your life with confidence. Confidence that whatever he gives you here is good, because your real treasure is coming down the line later. Confidence that, of course, he is going to give you everything you need here for this world and this life, because if he is pleased to give you treasure that never ends, of course he's going to give you what you need in this world. Confidence that although we are a little flock, whatever comes, our lives are secure eternally in the heavenly kingdom. Don't, Jesus says. Don't, don't, don't. Don't be greedy. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. And that happens when Jesus' people look forward, focus on heaven, and rest their hearts in the heavenly kingdom. Now, we have Jesus' full and free forgiveness for all of the times we have done the things that he tells us not to do, 
And in Jesus Christ, we also have the power not to do these things anymore. It happens when we focus and rest our hearts on the treasure of heaven that drives away worry, greed, and fear from our lives. But actually, it gets even better than that. Because not only do those ugly things go away, they get replaced with good things. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide money bags for yourselves that do not become old. A treasure in the heavens that will not fail. See, when you look forward in faith, it's not just that greed goes away. Generosity comes in to replace it. To have confidence that God's going to give me what I need, so I will use what I have to help the other people around me, whom God also loves and redeemed in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's not just that I won't be worried anymore, but my worry is actually going to be smothered by satisfaction. Jesus talks here about new money bags. Give yourself new money bags that don't wear out. There's a lot of different ideas about what that means exactly, but probably the best way to think of it is this. If your focus and your heart is on the treasure of this world, it's going to be like you're using a money bag that has a hole worn in the bottom. No matter how much money goes into your wallet or your purse, it's going to be like it's falling out the bottom. It's never going to be enough for you. When your focus is on the kingdom of heaven and your treasure is there, it's like God sews a hole in the bottom of your money bag. He gives you a new one that never wears out. Whatever he puts in there, I'll be satisfied with it because my greater treasure is coming in the kingdom of heaven. And what happens to fear? Not only does fear go away, but it's replaced by courage, by bravery. Not even death itself scares you because you have life that lasts forever in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there is a simple reason besides sin. Speaking of catechism class, there's like three answers that you can give that are going to answer just about any question. Whenever you're talking about something bad, you can say, because we're sinful. And yeah, but specifically, besides being sinful, there's a reason that we're challenged to keep our eyes forward on the kingdom of heaven. The simple reason is we're here in what is temporary. We're surrounded by what we see and smell and taste and touch here in this world every day, and it pulls our eyes off of the kingdom of heaven. And this is why Jesus' people need to be immersed every day in the promise that God is pleased to give us his kingdom. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of one sister, Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet listening to him while her sister, Martha, was hustling and bustling around the house. You remember the first words out of Jesus' mouth to Martha? He called her by name twice. Martha, Martha. I hear sympathy in Jesus' voice. I don't think Jesus was angry with Martha. He felt sorry for her. She was missing out. And so are we when we let the cares and the concerns of this world pull our eyes off of God's heavenly kingdom and the promise. Where there is communion, Christians need to be there to receive it. We need to take a meaningful walk every day back to the font and remember what God did for us in the waters of baptism. Where the word of God is preached and taught, Christians need to be there to listen and learn. Where it's printed, Christians need to read it consistently daily to refocus our eyes and our faith on the treasure that is waiting for us in heaven. Then we live with a confident faith. Not greed, but generosity. Not worry, 
but satisfaction and bravery that although we are a little flock, we have life in the kingdom of heaven. And there is one other very critical, positive thing that happens when your focus and your heart is resting in the treasure of heaven, and that is that whenever Jesus decides to come back and bring us that treasure, we'll be ready for him. And not only are we going to be ready for him, we'll be longing for him, wanting him to come. Jesus tells this parable of a master who goes away to celebrate a wedding. Now, in Jesus' culture, these wedding celebrations lasted for an indefinite amount of time. It's like if you've ever gotten an invitation to a party, right, and it tells you the place and the date, and then by time, it says something like seven until question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. That makes some people really nervous. I want to know when I'm expected to leave. When does this party end? Well, the wedding celebrations in Jesus' culture were like that. You didn't know exactly how long they were going to last. So this master is going away. For an indefinite amount of time, his servants need to be ready anytime he returns. So the master, of course, is Jesus. He's gone away to a celebration. He's celebrating his victory over sin, death, and Satan. And he is coming back. He promises us that. And he tells the servants, that's us, that when he comes, we need to be ready for him whenever it happens. When we're looking to the kingdom, our hearts are resting on the treasure there, we will be ready for Jesus whenever he comes back, and we want him to come because he's bringing us treasure. Jesus pictures the blessings of heaven like this. Blessed are those servants whom the master will find watching when he comes. Amen, I tell you. He will dress himself and have them recline at the table, and he will serve them. Even if he comes at the second or third watch, they will be blessed if he finds them alert. So, when the master does come back, he will tell his servants, now, you relax. From now on, you take it easy. I'll dress myself. Normally, that would be your job. I'll take care of that. And the table, where normally I would relax, and you would come and serve me, you servants, you go rest at the table, and I, the master, will come and serve you servants. Jesus is telling us when he comes back, he's going to bless us richly and serve us personally, in his heavenly kingdom. He also tells us that he's coming back at a time that is not only unknown, but actually unexpected. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you are not expecting him. It does seem strange at first that the Son of God would compare himself to a thief. And it's one of those times where it's important to stick to the main point of the comparison. Of course, Jesus is not coming to rob us and take good things from us. He just got done telling us he's coming to bless us and serve us personally and richly. But Jesus is like a thief, and he comes at a time that's not only unknown, but it's even unsuspected. Now, that is a warning for Jesus' people to be ready, but it's not something for Jesus' people to be worried about or to be stressed about. Not if your eyes are looking forward to the kingdom and your heart is resting there. You will be ready and waiting for Jesus whenever he does decide to come and bring us that treasure. In the meantime, cover yourself every day in God's promises of his kingdom. He gives you that kingdom because... He's pleased to do it.
He gives it to you in his son, Jesus Christ. Rest your heart there and you will live in the divine don'ts of Jesus Christ. Don't be greedy. You won't. You'll be generous. Don't worry. You won't. You'll be satisfied. Don't be afraid. Little flock that you are, you won't. Because come what may, you have treasure in heaven. And when Jesus comes to bring it to you, you'll be waiting for him. Amen.